Hello, everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of the Clean Tackles podcast. Um, this project has been in the making for quite a while now, and you might recognize some of us from our time with the 12th player. That's the XII player. I'm Chike, and on the pod today with me, I have Bio, Chike, Dotun, and Shola. So, guys, how's your weekend been? I'll start with you, Dotun. How's your weekend? America uh, has been good. I mean, I had a horrid week last week. I had Apollo. Apparently, it's still in Vogue. It's still out there. Damn. So sorry, it was, yeah, it was terrible. Uh, but plus, it's my mom's 60th birthday tomorrow. So, I had family time this weekend. Oh, nice. And all of that. So, yeah. Good weekend, all in all. And happy birthday to your mom, man. Thank you, Otella. <laughs> uh, Bayo, how about you? How's your weekend been? Yeah, hello again, everyone. Um, so it's just it's been a pretty chilled weekend. Um, just been, you know, trying to relax. Was a hectic week for me as well during uh, pretty stress, pretty stressful. Um, so the weekend has just been about, you know, recharging batteries, getting work done in between, you know. And I was, I was telling Chike, <laughs> I was telling Chike before the show started, you know, the the way the economy is currently set up. In, uh, is more amenable to <laughs> not having active weekends, so to speak. So yeah. True, true, true. There. Um, Shola, how about you, man? How's everything been? How how's your coaching been? Uh, well, for us, we don't really have weekends. Saturday is always a training on match day, so uh, lots of work. Uh, so far, so good. At least I was able to rest a bit today. As for coaching, well, coaching is coaching. We keep trying our best to help players. Uh, and yeah, that's it basically. All right. And Chuki, how's your weekend been? Um, like I said, it's probably been a good weekend for you since Arsenal just beat Manchester City finally after eight straight losses. So how's your weekend been? Yeah, finally, man. But yeah, all in all, it's been a good weekend. It's been a very relaxing one. Not too much activity, just a lot of rest for the week, preparing for the week. And yes, Arsenal just rounded it all up with a good, a good, a good little victory. A very big psychological victory, but a good victory all, all in all. So yeah, I'm a very good weekend all in all. Happy to be here, guys, and happy birthday to your mom, Dotun. Thank you. <laughs> All right, I think let, let's start from the review of the Community Shield we just watched. Um, it felt like Manchester City were going to run away with it. Uh, just for the record, they had lost the last two Community Shield games to Leicester City last two seasons and, of course, last season to Liverpool 3-1. It seems they start the season slow and Pep Guardiola has viewed this as you know a way to get his team prepared for the season, like a glorified friendly sort of. Um, he's played his backup goalkeepers, he pulled off Haaland just after the 60th minute mark. But for Arsenal, it wasn't just about winning. It wasn't just about winning the community shield. It felt like just getting that win after losing so many games in a, in a row to them. Y'all still choose tricky. Do you feel like this was a psychological boost for Arsenal heading into this season? Yeah, personally, I really do. I really, really do. And going into the game, it's something I was hoping we would do. I, I did not want to lose to them again. Like this, this we can't, we can't really quantify 
the psychological effects of how that game would have gone. But like losing nine straight to one team, I, I play football as well. So I can imagine if every time I face this particular team, they keep beating me. Like at some point, yeah. you before the game even starts, you get defeated. Uh, I feel like that's kind of what happened with the away game last season at the Etihad. We got to the Etihad already defeated for some reason. And it's just that thing. And then they can play. They can just literally just play toy with you till they are ready to just kill. And that's what they did at Etihad. So today, I really did not want to lose today. I, I, I didn't even care if we lost on penalties. I did not want to lose in 90 minutes, personally. Because I didn't want that thing where they, they toy with us again and they just... Or we play so well, but they just end up winning. And it's like, what can you really... And then that's when it gets to the players. It's like, what can we really do to win, to beat these guys? So I'm really, really happy. Yeah, psychologically, it was a big, big win for us, honestly. Okay. And Shola, over to you. Do you think there is a little bit of worry from what you saw um, from Manchester City? I mean, obviously, they start the season slow. and There's no point overreacting to this loss. But it just feels like they don't have the same quality they had last season. Obviously, they lost Gundogan and Mares. The stocks of Bernardo Silva leaving, but they've not really brought in attacking players to make up for what they lost. I know they brought in Kovacic and um, they brought in Vardyol, but that's in defense and Kovacic is a central midfielder. They've not really replaced the attacking output that Mares and Gundogan brought, and it showed today. Before De Bruyne came in, they looked a bit... I mean, they created chances, but they didn't look dangerous per se. So do you think this is just a one-off, or do you think this might be a problem for them going into the season if they don't get replacements for those two guys? Uh, well, at this point, their starting slow is, is deliberate, basically. The way they periodize their fitness... Uh, and I remember speaking to a youth coach at Barcelona who knows uh, Bonaventura, who is like the lead fitness trainer for Pep still. And yeah, it's a deliberate strategy by Pep to try to pick physically at maybe two thoughts through the season. So, uh, so physically, there's always going to be some issues and you could see them making a lot of early changes today, taking off Haaland and a few of the other guys because they know they are not going to be where they want to be physically. Uh, in terms of their squad depth, I think maybe it's not the same as last year. Like you mentioned, they've lost a few players. But I don't really see it as a big issue. Uh, for one, I think younger players like Cole Palmer are ready to step up if given the appropriate playing time. So, uh, between Alvarez and Haaland, they have a lot of options that they can go through. And then there's Foden, who came on today, who excellent receiving to beat. I can't remember who was pressing him, and that was what led to the man to go. So, I believe they'll be fine on the overall. I still think they look like the strongest team in the Premier League. Uh, the Champions League is where it might be a little bit difficult since they don't have the same star power in attack as they did last year. But I think overall they'll be fine. Okay, so how about you, Dotin? Um, what did you think about the game today? Do you feel like um, it was very important for Arsenal to get this win and 
do you see them actually contending or do you see them going all the way this season? Because there seems to be this optimism at the Emirates. Everyone feels like this is their time. So in my head, right, I feel like league football is a different kind of official entirely, right? You can do the writings against one opponent and against other opponents, it's not so good for you. Do you understand? So if, if over the course of the season, you have to play 19 different opponents, home and away, and all of that, right? So if your team is set up deliberately, like sitting new, um, Arsenal are sitting new, they're going to play this game um, a long time ago. That's the season was over, right? Looking at both of them's lineup, you could easily tell who took this game a lot more seriously than the other team, right? So I'm not reading too much meaning into this match. I think by week five, week six, we'll have like a clearer indication of the ability of both teams, right? I just feel like, I don't want, it's not a glorified friendly, but it's not the most competitive match either, right? It's just, um, there is a tussle, winners of FA Cup versus winners of the Premier League. And let's go out there, let's give the fans a good show and let's try and win something to kickstart our season. Like Chucky said earlier, right, for Arsenal, it's more of a psychological boost in the sense that these guys um, perennially get the better of them, right? And last season, despite the fact that there were a lot of points behind them, they still caught up with them, beat them more anyway, and all of that, right? So it's good for Arsenal to have this. In terms of what he holds for the season ahead, I think that we might be jumping the gun. I don't think that there's anything that we've seen today that suggests that City will not be good enough or that Arsenal will win the league. I just think that Today was just today, and in due time, we'll be able to talk about that. Okay, I think that's fair enough, but let, let's jump into Arsenal as um, an Arteta's big summer. Since he became manager in 2020, he spent nearly $600 million in transfers. Um, I believe that the signing of Raya, which is very close from Brentford, will take them over the £600 million mark. That's a lot of money to you spent, even though I know there's uh, you have to count for the inflation right now and all that, but 600 million pounds within three seasons is a lot, or rather, three and a half seasons is a lot to invest. Uh, uh, so, so, check it first is first, yeah. I like to say that in Premier League, everybody has money. Hmm? I don't think that some people have advantage over some others, especially the big size in the Premier League. I don't think that anybody should be saying money is an advantage over the other. That's just uh-huh. me, right? Obviously. Everybody has their different opinions on that, but I'm just saying what I think. That's one. Then number two, again, like I said, right, um, in as much as Arsenal didn't win anything last season, I think that it would be very dishonest to say that there was no progress in the way that they came from the previous season to last season. Do you understand? There is this um, funny statement from the playoffs and Yanis where it says, if you don't get promotion every year, does that mean you failed? And all of that, right? I think Arsenal have gotten better over time, right? Um, I feel all that's left for them is to is to win something. That's one. Now, it's going to come with extra pressure given the fact that they spent big money on big players this season. I understand that it's mostly a media charity and all of that. But they're also going to get in the Champions League. For their own good, I hope they get an easy draw so they don't have to... Um, is it like be cautious with their squad and say, oh, I want to play the same set of people every day? Because if they get a tricky group, for example, they will not be able to rotate properly in the league and in the Champions League. Like you know, last season they had the whole, in the Europa League group stage, they could play Marquinhos, they could play Vieira, they could play Tierney, they could play Holding. 
tournament and go, you can't do that in the Champions League. Do you understand? So, um, again, it's one of those things that we we'll just have to wait and say. I just, I don't think the money I spent is an indictment on him. I feel like everybody has spent plenty, plenty money. Do you understand? I just feel like when you look at the competition that is up against, right, and the tournament is going to play, right. I feel like it's just best for all parties involved to to keep their expectations. Um, I don't want to say minimum. Minimum is not the right word. Just to keep it like, um, what's this word again? Anyway, just make sure that you're not over-expectant and you're like not realistic. Just keep yeah, it balanced. Do you understand? Moderate. Just game by game basis. By week 20, are we going for top four coming in the league? When you get to the knockout round, you look at your opponents and say, oh, okay, we can get to the quarterfinal. When you get to the quarterfinal, oh, okay, you know what? The semifinal is not so bad. Do you understand? So, in bits and pieces. But I think that so far, so good. Upstairs, on the field, I think they look very, very good this season. Okay. Um, okay, so back to you, Chiki. What would you, as a fan, consider a satisfactory season for the Gunners after what you've seen so far in um, the transfer market and the progress from last season, as Dalton explained? Okay, um, let's, let me go like this. Before I even start, let me just say, on the part that you just spoke, on the money part, I think, I think it's, it's, what, it's what football has become now. If you're a big club, you spend money. If we, everybody's going to have to spend money. The, the average transfer is not going to be 25, 35 million anymore. It'll be 60, 70 million. So at some point, the just having to spend 200 million in summer is going to be like the regular thing, 200, 300 million. But yes, so that's that part. Now, on what am I expecting for the season? As an Arsenal fan, and you know, okay, let me do like this here. Yeah. I would hope for a trophy. I cannot tell you if it is the the Premier League, the FA Cup, I don't know. But I would hope for a trophy. I think that is the minimum right now. I think Mikel needs a trophy. And a title challenge. We can't we can't go from what we had last season to scrapping for third or fourth. And it's, it's just the truth. You've improved the team, you've improved the squad, you've improved the floor of the squad. We cannot go from saying, Oh, being upset that we didn't win the title because we dropped off at like the last month. So now, now being saying, oh, let's just hustle and make top four so we can go to Champions League. I think that's a regret. That's regression. So this season, I would hope for a title challenge and a trophy. And go, go as Dr. said, man, you can't, Champions League is a different kettle of fish. But just go as far enough as you can in Champions League. Don't get knocked out in the second round and be like, oh, okay, we, at least we were here. Now, see what you can do. It's all, up about, it's all about the draws anyway. Nobody knows who will see the draws. But just... That's basically for me. For me, personally, that's not fun. I mean, just not being... I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, we have to win the Champions, the Premier League and the Champions League. Nah, that's, that's wishful thinking. That would be nice. But honestly, if I'm just trying to be level-headed, it's give me a trophy, a title challenge, and do very well in Champions League, man. This is, you are setting, it's, not, it's not about now. Everything that's happening at Arsenal is not about right now. Yes, it looks like it's right now because of all the money that's been spent. But it's not about right now. The squad is young. The players are good. The manager is young. This this is something that you are, you are you are laying the foundation for. So just that's how I feel about it, man. Just give me give me a solid season that I'm proud of. Give me a title from give me a trophy from somewhere. I don't care where. I don't even mind the Carabao at this point. Just give me something. Let the players see that they can win together, win something together, and then it's just you're just trying to build this. So that's how I see it. Yeah, I think you made a very excellent point when you said what you're building is not for right now. It's for like the future. The squad age is very great it's around uh, 24 25 thereabouts and the manager is young personally i predicted that within the next three seasons 
um, Arsenal is going to win the Premier League. I don't know if it's going to be this season or next season or the season after that, but I think, I honestly believe that within the next three seasons, Arsenal is going to lift the Premier League title, but that's just me. Um, so I'll go to you, Bayo. Uh, let's talk about other transfers. Um, Manchester United just signed a striker, Rasmus Hoyland. Last season, they had troubles nailing down the striker. There was a problem with Cristiano Ronaldo. Obviously, we know what happened with Greenwood. There was a problem with uh, Marcel and his fitness. Valdez was brought in midway through the season, and he couldn't score a goal to save his life. I think he scored just two goals in over 20 games, if I believe. Uh, but they brought in a young guy, Rasmus Hoyland. Uh, there was a lot of money spent on him, but he's a promising guy. I feel like a, a lot of unfair um, details have been put up on about him, saying he had just nine Serie A goals, which is very true. He had nine Serie A goals, but he had 16 goals in all competitions last season at club level. And then for Denmark, he had six goals in six games. Um, 22 goals for a 20-year-old is a very decent return. And as a Manchester United fan, what do you feel Rasmus Hoyland will bring to Manchester United this season? Do they finally have their man? And um, should expectations be higher right now? Um, so, yeah, I've seen some fairly um, uneducated discourse around the Holland, uh, the Hoyland signing um, by Manchester United. Uh, so, you know, one line that has been banded about by uh, UK journalists in particular is that he scored nine goals in 32 Serie A appearances, right? Uh, but, you know, it, another way to look at it is to say um, on a penalty basis because he wasn't a regular starter for them until, say, after the World Cup, you know. Um, so if you were to take his if you were to take his goal involvement per 90 basis, you probably get about 0.4 goals per 90. Uh, so, you know, he ended up having around maybe 23 or so 90s. Um, so, yeah, um, I think the price, is, the price is a bit steep, but I think that's just a reflection on the fact that there's a death of strikers uh, or centre forwards on, in the market right now. Um, you know, there, there, there really aren't any, really any centre forwards that you, you know, to borrow the, the famous phrase that would give you a guarantee of goals. Um, so there's Hurricane, who is 30 with a year to run on his contract. And, you know, if anybody feels, I personally don't feel that spending a hundred million pounds in transfer fees and possibly another 30 million um, in wages every year, uh, I, I personally don't think I personally don't think that's um, an approach anybody should be taking in transfers, but fair enough if anybody is going to pay. So I can understand why United took that gamble. <clears throat> but, um, excuse me. Um, so, so what I'd say is, um, I wouldn't necessarily say it fixes United's problems in the center forward position because obviously he's going to take time. He, he, he's had a short career so far. He's young. He's going to take time to settle in. He'll probably be eased into the team, um, you know, and not just be thrown into the defense. So it's probably something where United are taking a bet where that this will begin to pay dividends in possibly the next um, 18, 12 to 18 months. 
you know, that's fine. But um, so I think that Manchester United actually have other issues, um, <clears throat> you know, um, in terms of their being able to progress the ball and all of that. So uh, Ten Hag has mentioned how he wants his team to be the best transition team in the world. And if you look at the makeup of their midfield, it, it certainly lends support to the fact that they should lean more in that direction. Uh, because they have a central midfield trio who, you know, are not particularly, who are not particularly um, great at receiving the ball under pressure. Uh, and so, you know, and also, you know, if you look at the right side of their defense with Ambusaka and Varan, um, you know, in terms of progressing the ball into midfield consistently. So I think these are areas where, you know, how they fail, how Ten Hag is able to adapt, you know, how the team plays or the team style around these issues are basically going to have more of an impact on how well their season turns out, you know, than, you know, how well um, Rasmus Hoyland ends up doing, you know, in this season in particular. Yeah, okay. I think that was a very good breakdown of what... Um he brings and you know what the expectations are um doesn't how about you? i know you have very strong takes about um what he brings to manchester united i know Bayer is a big fan of him of oil and, and all of that right and from what i've seen right if united managed to harness his talents properly we might have a striker situation sorted out for a very long time Right. Um, going into the season, I felt that United had to replace um, a couple of people in the in what looked like starting team from last season, so as to progress. Right. And I had them in a in a scale of preference. Right. I wanted a goalkeeper first, a central midfielder mm-hmm. next, then a striker. And the reason was because of what I just explained, in the sense that United have had problems in bringing the ball out from the back and all of that. Now, if you have problems in bringing ball out of the back, it's going to be very, very difficult to sustain attacks. Now, if you cannot sustain your attacks, if you cannot play the majority of the game against majority opponents in their final third, right, you would have a situation where your striker will have to do it on his own, right, mostly create something out of nothing, uh, mostly score what he should not score, and all of that, do you understand? You end up blaming your striker when you've given him nothing to feed on. And that's why I didn't want a striker first. I didn't think it made any sense to bring in a striker to come and abuse the striker. And especially with all these, I like what Bayer said earlier, uneducated discourse and all of that, right? I, I prefer <laughs> a, a, a scenario whereby you bring in people and you give them the platform to flourish. Do you understand? So, yeah. I've seen, I've seen what you do. Right. Um, my favorite attribute of him is he attack space. United have not had a striker that attack space in a very, very long time. Right. We've had people that prefer ball to their feet. People like, I mean, Rashford likes to come in behind, but that's not what I mean by attack space. I mean, attack crosses, right? Attack rebounds and all of that. Right. So you see um, crosses and somebody stealing in between the right back and the right center back. You see someone stealing in between both center backs to get a an unorthodox finish or whatnot. Like proper crude striker, if you understand what I mean. Eh? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he can do on the ball. Now, I'm just hoping that like a lot of things go in his favor. Zero worries about Bruno Fernandes. I know Bruno is going to create chance after chance after chance. Now, where I 
a bit worried about is um, after Bruno Wells is going to create chances, right? I know Rashford's go-to is not creating chances. Rashford rather shoots than pass, right? And we know that that's the player that he is because he has his, in quotes, numbers quota to meet, right? Um, Anthony, too, did not cover himself with glory in, in terms of creating chances. Um, while Sancho is a very, very high-volume creator, it's not been at his best for a very long time now. So I'm not sure that it's... I mean, in as much as I want him to do what this is, I'm not saying I'm just going to go into this and say, oh, Sancho is going to create this, Sancho is going to drop this and drop that. It's more of wishful thinking at this stage. That leaves us to wait, um, probably Luke Shaw and Missy Mount, depending on how his genetic career goes, right? So I'm still looking at it from the angle that... Are the chances going to be enough? Are the chances not going to be enough? But then again, like I said, it's not mostly um, possession football. It's not mostly... It's a bit of everything. We want to be able to be dangerous when we're in the opponent's half, and we still want to be dangerous when we're in our own half. We want to be able to take us being under threat straight to putting the opponent under threat and all of that. So I like to see is... Um, work rates. It looks like a very, very hard worker, but you know that the Premier League is a different thing entirely. And I'm a bit concerned about his injury history. It's not so bad. He's injured at the moment. It's not so bad. But then again, if you switch up intensity for players, right, for someone that is 20 and he has had, I think, two or three injuries in the last two years and whatnot, and you make him like starting centre forward for um, a club that will need him almost more often than not, right, it's either here or there, but I'm hoping that he gets the platform to perform. That's just what I want. So, if he's good, let's say that he's good. If he's not good, let's say that he's not good. I don't want a situation whereby if he goes after like three years, everybody now starts saying and they did not give him the chance to this. That I want to see him yeah. play to his potential. That's what's important to me. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll go to you, Shola. Um, Let's talk about Chelsea, the incomings and the outgoings over the past 12 months have been something else. There have been, I don't know, probably over 60 players in and out. They might have signed me. I don't know. I have to check with my agent. That's how bad it is. Um, and they are still signing more players. Caicedo is on their list. From a coaching perspective, do you think that this is a bad idea to, to mess with the team chemistry, the locker room dynamics? everything on such a large scale it's a very interesting one um generally though pattern in recent years have shown that when a club makes too many transfers in a short period of time i'm trying to remember the exact data the managers whether clubs make a specific number of changes both outgoings and incomings in a short period of time, they don't last more than five and a half months after the season starts. I'm not sure I'm exactly quoting the data 100% correctly, but that's mm-hmm. the general idea, baby. When there's this many amount of changes, the head manager usually is job. And it's not necessarily because the manager is doing a bad job. Is just a natural consequence of making a lot of changes. Yeah. The team has to go through stages of development that 
mean they are going to find it very difficult to get consistent results. Uh, if there's one manager that might be able to navigate that, probably is Pochettino. Uh, and hopefully, the club needs to now understand that there's likely to be some serious instability in the first half of the season and that they need to be patient with the manager to build through that process. But at the same time, if you're lucky and they have a good start in terms of results, they might be able to ride on that weight to try to grind out results without necessarily playing well. So for me, I, I, I think it's two things to summarize, basically. It's dangerous because teams usually become very inconsistent when they sign and sell a lot of players. So, I think it makes sense for the team to be very pragmatic in their approach to games. Instead of trying to be a team that plays well, I think they have to optimize their performance to get results, rather than trying to perform well. Basically. Okay, um, still sticking with you, Shola. Um, for Liverpool, they've undergone something similar, but just in a specific unit in their team. Um, in midfield, they've let go of key players and some fringe players. So Fabinho is out, Henderson is out, Keita is out, Milner is out, even though he was more of um, a utility player, and Chamberlain is out. They've only retained Thiago, Alcantara, Curtis Jones, and um, Trent have been moved to midfield in some games. They've signed McAllister and Shoboslai, and they are in talks to sign Romo Lavia. So we could see a very, very different Liverpool midfield from what we've been seeing in the past. In fact, we are going to see that. Do you think that this massive overhaul in the middle of the park for them is enough to get them challenging for the league title? Uh, it's a bit like the Chelsea situation. I think they are probably going to have a little bit of an imbalance there that will cause a lack of consistency in their midfield performances. Uh, probably the silver lining for them is a few of the attacking players seem to have had a decent preseason. So if they can try to build a game style that bypasses the midfield a little bit, that's an idea they can try to work with. But the defensive aspect is going to be very, very difficult because a lot of clubs' ideas in terms of how to trust the opponent is pretty much centered around the intelligence of the midfielders to identify the right places. Uh, the idea basically, and this is a very simplistic summary, the front three trust with a lot of intensity, uh, then the midfield three are responsible to intelligently predict the critical spaces that are going to emerge as a result of the way the front three process. So if the midfield is not properly in sync and properly understanding of what the manager wants, uh, it might be difficult for them to sustain a good pressing game in the first half of the season. Uh, do I think they have enough firepower up front? I think they have enough stability in defense. Although it would have been better if they could learn somebody like 
give a deal that uh, went over to Manchester City to kind of bolster them a medium soul. So it's going to be a team that probably is going to score a lot of goals, but also concede a lot of goals because of the consistency they are likely to have in it. All right. Um, how about you, Bayer? What do you think about the changes to Liverpool's midfield? What do you think? What do you expect from them this season? Do you think it's enough to make up for the errors of last season? I mean, finishing in a Europa League spot is something that we've not seen from Liverpool for a very long time. So, you know, what most people would hold responsible for the collapse in Liverpool's form last season was also the collapsing form of uh, their midfield. And it just basically came down to um, identifying the right moment to make changes and regenerate midfield, uh, regenerate certain parts of the team, you know, just to keep just to keep the team ticking over. Um, so Henderson has left Saudi Arabia this season. Fabinho has done so as well. I don't believe anyone. It's it's, it's probable that even uh, the Liverpool recruitment team and club didn't plan for that, but you know they had already put plans in place to you know, to make those changes. And if you remember, um, when Liverpool when Liverpool peaked, or as they approached their peak, they had this midfield of um, of um, Henderson, Vinaldom, and um, Fabinho, you know, that were just basically, and I think at some point, Emre Chan as well. You know, they, weren't, they didn't really have so much in terms of creative responsibility. It was just mainly um, like a like a defensive tool, right, in terms of just winning the ball and recycling it. Um, but the profiles that they've gone for this time are different in terms of Alexis McAllister, who is like a shuttler, like a hybrid between an 8 and a 10. Um, he's pretty active off the ball. And, you know, and um, also Dominic Strobosla, you know, who is also more of a 10. Uh, you know, he's got, he's got great shooting technique. And, you know, he's, he definitely has an eye for goal. Um, so that's definitely a change in approach. And, and he also signals possibly a change in the way sets, uh, Klopp is going to set up his team. Uh, so I think someone mentioned how Trent has been moved into midfield and all of that. But I mean, even if he's playing from right back, it's likely that he would still take up positions in midfield to help progress the ball and access areas where, you know, he can deliver uh, he can deliver crosses, you know, or balls into the box. But I just also wanted to say that, you know, like the whole Liverpool thing, it ties up. It, it, I just wanted to use it, to, you know, to tie up a few of the things we've discussed as well. Um, you know, in terms of spending, like we, we, met, we referenced Arsenal spending $600 million, um, you know, so far under Ateta. And that's definitely a sign of ambition. But I also wanted to say in terms of expectation, Right, while Pep Guardiola's Manchester City is around, there is only so much anybody can say. You know, you are trying to achieve in terms of targets. I want to win this cup. I want to win the league, and Very all of that. Point. Very fair point. They are they are so far ahead in terms of consistency, in terms of flexibility, right? Um, in terms of in terms of depth, squad depth that everybody is playing catch up. And that's what that's basically what Arsenal are trying to do now. They're trying to catch up with a team who put all the right building blocks in place about four or five years ago, 
And now every summer, all they do is the the raking transfer income from selling players when they're who they've identified is the right time to let go of. And then they are able to dedicate whatever funds. So if you're saying that every team has a hundred million or two hundred million to spend every summer, right? City can allocate their 200 million spent for the summer to just one or two key positions and get players of the highest quality or the best fit for those positions, which is not a luxury other teams can afford. Other teams don't have the depth. And so with that 200 million that Pep has to spend, guys like Ten Hag and Ateta are probably trying to fill like three or four or maybe even five squad places, you know. And what you need to understand is that it's not sustainable to spend 250, 300 million every summer unless you're an oil state or an oil backed, you're, you're a club that is backed by um, an oil state. You know, it's, it's, it's simply isn't, it simply isn't sustainable. Manchester United, for example, this summer had to pay a fine for breaching FFP. So if FFP doesn't get you, your cash, your cash flows or your cash reserves are going to get you. Um, so basically for the last two years as well, Manchester United have had to um, fund their transfers from a revolving, from a 200 million pound revolving credit facility they have from banks. So the thing is, if you are going to spend money, you, you better make sure that you get it right. And um, so, and that's why I have so much respect for club in, and Liverpool generally in terms of what they've done. Fine, you're not going to see 30 million bargains like, or 40 million bargains like they found for Salah and Mane at the time. But he respects the financial framework he's been given to work and he, he's genuinely uh, committed to improving players. And yes, so what the work they've done this summer might not necessarily yield results immediately, but um, also in terms of what we said, in terms of um, um, whether Arsenal have a psychological edge of city now. The closest person in all of Guardiola's career to actually having um, anything approaching to or being anything approaching his equal is Klopp. You know, in all the leagues, all the competitions they've played, Klopp is possibly matching him win for win or head to head, you know. So just to put that out there, um, you know, so it's all good to be ambitious, but as well, just realize what you're up against in terms of Guardiola's Manchester City. Yeah, that was an excellent breakdown of what to expect for next season. Uh, so moving out of the Premier League, let's go to Spain, La Liga. Um, Chucky, I'll go to you. Real Madrid, they've signed Jude Bellingham, they've signed Jose Lu, they've signed Adagula, but they've also lost some key players as well. Benzema, Asensio's. And um, they are in the market for Kylian Mbappe, but forget Kylian Mbappe right now. As it stands... Do you feel like they've done enough to close the gap between them and Barcelona? Do you feel like they've done enough to wrestle the title, the league title off of Barcelona this coming season? Yeah, so honestly, I think I think they have enough to 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 fight, I guess. I I like the way they settle. I like the way they look right now. I don't know how it's going to be going into the season, but right now I really like how they look. I like how so I saw a couple of their preseason games. And obviously, we precision is precision. We can't even watch the first game of the La Liga season. Mm-hmm. But the the energy that they seem to, and I think there was a report today that says uh, Kamavinga and Bellingham are like starters this season. So I don't know if that's true, but the energy they seem to have in the middle of the park now, 
is is something. And yes, we don't talk about Mbappe, but I, I can only imagine Mbappe being in that team right now. So yeah, I really like the way the team looks. For the people that he lost, I think it was time for Benzema to go. I think it was fine. It was it was okay for Benzema. And Asensio was Asensio wasn't as um he was a good squad player. He was a good part of the general cog of the team, but he wasn't he wasn't a crucial player. So Benzema, yes, it was time for Benzema to go. I guess because he's he's done enough. He's done everything over at Real Madrid. Well, you know, I think I think they have enough. I think they have enough. I think last season they were just a bunch of. I don't know, man. The 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 football that they were playing was just very all over the place. And I think right now, even though Ancelotti is still Ancelotti, I think he's he's moved on to something that's going to work with this midfield, with having all of those players. Well, all, not all of them will play. Because I still think one of Cruz or Modric could be in the team every weekend. But yeah, just energy. Young players with mobile players are going to run, they're going to move. Bellingham coming from deep with Rodrigo and Vinicius in front. If they don't end up getting Mbappe, I think they have something that they can work with. Yep, definitely. Okay. Um, Dalton, the, the Mbappe situation at PSG, do you feel that he's going to get his way by moving to the team of his choice, his dream team, that's Real Madrid. And um, what do you think that means for PSG just moving forward now that they've been able to stand your ground and say, we'll not be pushed around by superstars anymore. This is now a team that has, that is going to be run as a team and no more a team that's going to be run by superstars, <laughs> by players. So, first is best. I think that PSG are clouds. <laughs> See, I, that, I think that's the best way to describe it. I think they're clouds. So, um, when PSG started this project, right, um, years back and all of that, I know that they had um, a proper core in Thiago Silva, uh, Marquinhos, um, Verratti. For a short period of time, it was Latin, then there was Cavani afterwards and all of that. And every time people try to buy their players, they always used to form this... Um, we cannot sell our players at any price. There's this very funny interview that Verratti gave then that people made jokes about that there's probably gone pointed to him behind the camera or whatnot, where he was apologizing for saying he wanted to go to Barcelona or whatnot, right? So for a change, I'm very, very glad that players have the upper hand in these negotiations, right? First things first is, um, two years ago, or was it last year, when, when Mbappe signed that extension, I'm sure the whole world and their dog knew that Mbappe was going to leave. True. So I'm wondering what the fuss is about now. Now, you know that a player sent a two, a signed a two-year extension, right? And you know that after the two years, he has the option to extend for one. So up until the two years, you don't have a say. If 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 you if he has to go this summer, you have to you have to accept a bid for him. Right now, when people made a bid, when people when Madrid made a bid, I think it was one sixty million or so last year, they rejected it. Now, if you're saying he must go this summer, you can't eat your cake and have it. Life doesn't always work that way. Do you understand? Especially since they've um, set up their team in a in a very funny manner. Right? I, I feel like if you look at, across the top five leagues, France is probably the best in quotes farming ground for young talents. PSG will overlook all the talents there. They'll go abroad and buy players that are not even as good as the talents that they have back in France in the name of they want to be a mega club or whatnot. I think they've invested poorly in the last five, six years. If you look at their starting lineup now, including Mbappe, right? There may be Mbappe, Neymar, okay, Verratti is still there, and um, Marquinhos Donnarumma. 
I think that's all. If you look at, oh, okay, there's Akimi at right back. Yeah. Now, most of these guys that I've even called, right, the fact that they've been playing in French League for this long, they know that nine times out of ten they win the league. They know that they probably get to knockout stage in Champions League. The fact that there's no even competition doesn't push them anymore. A lot of them have gotten, they've, they've regressed, right? What we saw from Neymar last season is not what we used to. Same thing. With, I don't even know if Marquinhos is a good defender again. Or if Donnarumma is still a good goalkeeper, you just know that, oh, okay, PSG won. Oh, okay, fine, PSG won. So I'm just happy that like their bad work, their bad foundation has caught up with them. Now they have to go back, think properly, make proper plans, and invest going forward. And for me, I don't think it should be so much of a big deal for them because, like I said, there is so much talent in France in every position. If you look at the lesser teams, and it's cheap deals. You don't even have to spend a lot of money. 20 million euros, 25 million euros, you get bargains everywhere. What PSG should be doing now is, since they want to do the whole, um, a player is not bigger than the club, once they get a reasonable bid for him, let him go. You reorganize, you start up again. I mean, I just saw today that they've gotten a, a deal for Gonzalo Ramos, right? So they have another striker. I mean, obviously they lost Messi, so they still need another forward. I don't know that, but they've gotten Ramos, they've gotten Asensio, they still have Neymar and all of that. So maybe they can get a grid two forward, right? Or something like that. So you plan, you cannot say because. So what if he says, okay, I want to sign under extension or whatnot? It's not going to sign a five year deal. It will sign probably one more year again. Next year, you do this dance all over again. He obviously wants to go. Let him go. And you build up from there again. It's so simple. I just like the fact that they're getting a the taste of their medicine with terms of in terms of transfer dealing. Since they've decided to be stubborn in the past with um, their players, they've, they've disrespected their players, they've held their players down against their players' wishes and all of that. I just like the fact that everybody in the footballing world can see that business is business and don't take things personal. That's all. Okay. Um... Yeah, I mean, I wish him all the best. I saw a picture posted on on Twitter a few days ago where it was just the PSG outcast training on their own. And to see Kylian Mbappe, someone who's probably going to end up in the top three in the Ballon d'Or voting for this season, to see someone like that being an outcast is just, it's just funny. It's just funny to say the least. PS, um, PSG have everything that is coming their way on this Mbappe deal. Yeah, I mean... Like right now, it feels like preach, Real bio, Madrid. Preach, preach. <laughs> it feels like Real Madrid has all the the advantage. Real Madrid and Mbappe they have the advantage because they know that um, whatever bid they put in, it feels like it has to be accepted. You know, they have the bargaining power, so whatever bid they put in, it has to be accepted because the guy only wants to play for one team, and that's Real Madrid. So it feels like they are just going to take their time and um, PSG is going to... I feel like they're going to sell him at the end of the, uh, this, by the end of this window, but it's not going to be at the amount that they, they want. But yeah, yeah it's, because it's years of think about it. Because... Think about it. If you're Madrid, do you go in now okay. for Mbappe? No, no. You wait till the last week of the window. Exactly. You, you have nothing to lose. You just wait till the last week of the window. Like they've, they've gotten go Carlo Ramos. Basically, they've replaced the entire front line. Dembele is mm-hmm. there now. There's literally nowhere they want to, uh, without with the wage that he Oh owned. yeah, I forgot the Billy. I yeah. forgot the Billy. They've got not they've literally replaced the entire front line. I don't even know how they fit in the manner, but I'm sure they'll find a way. But they've done all of this 
there's no reason to if i'm if i'm madrid i'm waiting till literally the last three days of the window i don't have to i don't have to run i don't have to rush i didn't plan to get in this season anyway this is a wolf yeah so uh, let me just remind you of when barcelona were trying to, to sign tiago silva and um el nasifi threatened barcelona and said if they trigger tiago silva's release clause PSG would trigger Messi's release clause. This was in 2014-2015. Do you know how lazy you have to be to be protecting your players like that instead of keeping them in a in an enabling environment? They feel like money can do everything. Money can do everything. So I'm so I'm so no, you know, happy. That's why I was going to go to. <laughs> Honestly, I felt like they, when we're talking about how they've been run, they've been run like a club. Run, they basically, it looks like it's been run with ego, like a child is running the club. That's basically how it looks like. That's basically how it looks like. So it's just it's just funny to see them going through this now. Um, so that'll be it for the first part of this show. The second part of this show will start soon and we'll talk about the Nigerian topic, the Falcons and um, the Nigerian players that made the moves over this summer. All right, guys. So this is the second part of the show. We're talking about everything Nigeria here. Um, so we'll call this the Eagles Watch. Talk about the Eagles, talk about the Falcons. Right now, and for most of the people that are going to listen to this podcast, they're going to listen to it after the round of 16 game against England. So we're not going to do a preview of the game. We're just going to give our predictions, something, you know, what we, what we hope would have happened by the time you listen to this podcast. Uh, we'll start with you, Shola. So far in this tournament, who has been your best player and what do you expect from the game against England? What's the outcome you expect? Uh, best player, strange one. I really like the only girl. Uh, not because I think okay. she's the best in the squad, but I think she's the best representative of what the squad is about. She's selfless. She works her socks off. She's willing to defend in strange places, even when she plays as the center. And I think that's kind of the image of the squad in the mind of the manager. And she, for me, epitomizes that. Uh, in terms of predictions for tomorrow, how people are one way. One new win for Nigeria. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. Um, Chiki, what about you? Who has been your best player and what do you think is going to happen against England? Okay, so uh, my best player so far from us, I won't lie, uh, I'm trying to remember her name now, is the, the midfielder. I think she wears number seven. Uh, but yeah, every, game I, every game I've watched, she just kind of stands, she stands out for the Falcon. Every single game, she just stands out. Oh, it's still a bit rough oh, around the edges, but there's is so much to work with with her. But yeah, so that's been my that's been my standard player of the tournament. It's been her for us, I guess. Sorry, I said was it Tony Payne? Oh yes, Payne. Yes, Tony Payne. Yes. Oh, seems we've lost Chucky there. Uh, okay, we'll go to Bio. Bio, who has been your best player in this tournament so far and what do you think is going to happen against england oh dear um so i must confess i i haven't seen a single minute not even in terms of highlights of the wow <laughs> yeah it's it's sad i know 
Uh, you are getting cancelled. You are getting cancelled. Yeah, yeah. I definitely should flex. Wow. As we go into the uh, as we go into getting cancelled. Yeah, as we go into the knockout stages, I'll definitely try to rectify that. Um, but in terms of prediction, at least I I, I know enough to know that Lauren James um of England has been tearing things up um at the World Cup. So I'm not sure that bodes well for our girls. Um, so if you're if we're taking predictions, then I'd probably say it's a two-one loss for Nigeria. Bio, this is just all round negativity from 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 you. <laughs> okay, yeah, um, <laughs> okay, um, Dawson, how about you? Who have been your best player, and what do you expect from the game? Um, okay, so I, I will check you on this. I think Tony Payne has been Nigeria's best player during this World Cup. Right. Um, I feel like we've been disorganized in our play and she has thrived in the chaos. Right. She's she's broken everything the opponents have thrown at us. We've played against two really good teams in Australia and Canada. Right. And we won one, we drew the other one against Ireland, where we did not need, like, we didn't even need a result. We just needed to just get out and get things done. And all of that. She was also an excellent in that game. She was very, very instrumental in breaking down how the opponents came out us and all of that. And if we're going to get a result tomorrow, she's also going to be very, very, very useful. Um, luckily for her, the, the Deborah and the lady that got a red card in the first game, she'll be back. Um, I think she did very, very well against Canada too. Um, I think she, she did very, very, very Deborah Biodon, Deborah in there, I can't remember the name exactly, but I know she did very well in that first game and she was unfortunate to be sent off and all of that. So I feel like if we go to play against England, remember a lot of English ladies are missing through injuries and whatnot, right? So um, I feel like if there is a chance to snatch a result, it is now. Um, but I said something about Lauren James. Um, I know she didn't start the first game, I know she didn't start the second game. Um, she played third game when they had qualified and was I against she China. Started, she started the second game. She started the second game. I, I know she came on in the first one and all of that. So um, that's been their only comprehensive win. It's not like they've blown teams out of the water and all of that. I know their first two games were 1 0 and 1 0. And they threw China with 6 1 and whatnot. So obviously, the 6 1 results will mean that Nigeria has to be careful from the start. I think our goalkeeper has also been very, very, very good. But then again, if we can make England to play our kills ball, we have a good chance. If we decide to dance me at soon, it might be ugly, right? But I'm going to be patriotic and go for 2-1 Nigeria win. Okay, so personally, I'm with you guys on the Tony Payne. She has been my favorite player as well. Um, I say this respectfully. Sometimes it feels like Nigerian football can be a bit chaotic when it compared to those of European counterparts. But she's someone that thrives in the middle of that chaos, right? And like you say, she brings that energy to the midfield. She's energetic. I know she's played for, she had played in defense in the past for us. So she's, she's been around, she's been moved around in the team. And it feels like right now she's just found that perfect spot playing in that midfield, just being the person that provides that energy. Um, even though we don't depend on her for the goals or the assists, it's very obvious that, you know, her presence is very vital to whatever positive is going to come up from this team. So she has been my favorite player as well this tournament. And as for predictions, my heart is telling me that England is going to be the latest victim of, you know, big teams 
getting thrown out of this tournament, especially when you consider that Kira Walsh got injured in that midfield. So they're going to be there's going to be a little bit of energy loss as well. But then Lauren James is just on another level. In the next few years, she's going to be if I had to bet, I'll say she's going to be a Ballon d'Or winner in some in, in a few years. She is that good. She is like the future of English football and coming against that sort of talent is going to be a, a huge test for us. So while my my heart is telling me that we are going to win 2-1, my head is telling me that we are going to lose. I just, it's a bit of a conflict. I'll stick with my heart and say a 2-1 win for the Falcons. Going over to the Eagles watch, we are going to talk about the players that have moved. The, African, the, uh, the Nigerian players that have moved in this transfer window. Now, with the AFCON set to take place next year, this window is very important for African players. But Nigerian players, for us, you know, we are very particular about the players that move in this window because we feel that getting game time and getting game time at top clubs or rather at the top level is very important because that will translate to, you know, the, the good of the Super Eagles team ahead of the tournament. So right now, I want us to discuss the players that have moved or the, and the players that we want to, we feel should move. Personally, I think Ndidi and um, Inya Nacho are too good for the championship, but that's just me. I feel like they're too good for the championship. I would like the, I would like it if they move. But right now, it feels like the noise around them has quieted down over the past few weeks. There are no suitors who are going in very aggressively for them. But I'd like to know who are the players that you guys feel should move in this window? Which Nigerian players to be specific? I'll start with you, Shola. Um, I believe you've mentioned the two key ones. Uh, especially, uh, obviously, maybe for the last few years, he's gotten some offers that he refused, mostly because he was schooling in Leicester. But I think he's done with that and I think there's no better chance for him to look for new opportunities than now. Uh, I think Leicester wants to keep them because they want to try to make a comeback immediately. Uh, it'll be interesting. I think he can, with his agents and he are really looking for it, I think he can find opportunities a bit easier. For Kennedy here, I'm sure it's a bit more better for him to stay in Leicester if he will be guaranteed some playing time. Uh, yeah, that would be the two clear ones for me. Uh, who else? Almost every other person is getting game time. Some have recently moved already. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, in the possibly likely to form. Uh, how about you, Bayer? Do you feel those are the two players or do you have someone else in mind who you feel should move in this window? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think Ihena Choi is due a move. Um, he should be moving because I think he still has the quality to contribute for uh, mid to lower table Premier League sides. I, I, I saw a report a couple of weeks ago that Nottingham Forest were interested, but I don't know what became of that. Um, in terms of, I, I, I don't know if Anyone who caught the Southampton game on Friday, I don't believe Joe, Joe Arable was involved or if he's even still at Southampton. 
Oh no, I didn't catch so, that. I didn't watch that. Yeah, so I mean that's because um he you know he 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 joined them in January. Um he joined them in January uh of this year. And uh, I mean but the, <laughs> um I think he was signed um yeah, like I said, he was signed in January and then there was a change in coaches when uh Ruben Seles became, uh, took over and I think he fell out of favor at that point. So um, a move would definitely do him good. But I'm also glad that Calvin Bassi um, has got a move from has got a move from Ajax uh, to Fulham. Um, yeah, that was, he, a, that was good for us. He, he had a rough time. He had a rough time with it at Ajax. Um, he came in and he was supposed to take it, take Lissandro um, Martinez's place in defense. Um, in the centre back at the left centre back spot, um, but I think for whatever reason, uh, I think mainly because the um, the coach at the time um, didn't feel that he was good enough in terms of progressing the ball and all of that. He was uh, he was initially moved to the left back position before falling out of the team altogether with the emergence of. Uh, Jorel Hato, a 17-year-old center back slash left back. So I mean it's a it's it's a decent move for him and hopefully he's able to uh he's able to find his feet quickly. Okay, um how about you, Dotun? Um any players you feel should move or do you feel the players that should move have already made the most? Okay, so we are all on board with Kilichi. I feel like there are definitely teams, if not just in the lower half of the Premier League, the teams in Germany, the teams in Spain, the teams even in Italy, right, that can use his skill sets. I mean, even if Kilichi is having a bad game, you know that Kilichi can score something out of nothing, right? So I don't think it should be a big problem for him to get a move. I also agree with Bayo for Aribo. I saw the Southampton game against Sheffield Wednesday um, on Friday night. Um, Jorabu came on in the 89th minute after Southampton scored their winner. Right, that was one minute or two minutes. And for me, it's not good enough. I feel like these boys can get better minutes out there. Right. But for me, the most concerning part is for the goalkeepers. I think it's very, very, very disappointing that goalkeepers that we have in the Super Eagles are at mostly unknown clubs. Right, I feel like we should be doing better in the, in, in that aspect. Right, um, I, I've seen a, a number of local league games in the last five six months from the Super Eights, um, the NNL playoffs, the last round of NNL matches, as well. Right, um, I don't think there's any clear distinction between our goalkeepers in Europe and the ones here in Nigeria. Right, I think they've um, back here. For the first time in a long time, right? And I've followed football locally for 10 plus years, right? I'm seeing attention to details in what the goalkeepers do now, right? From a command of area and set pieces. It's not just shouting. When I used to play ball, it's just shouts, they used to shout. You can actually hear proper information now um, in the box. You can also see coordination. You can see a lot of them are willing to be the spare man to build up from the back. And that's in Nigeria here. Right, so I don't see any reason why we cannot call up one or two as some form of encouragement, right? I know the goalkeeper at Remo Stars is very, very good, right? Um, I also know that the goalkeeper at, um, is it Kassina? Is it Kassina United or so? Uh, I'm not sure of the other thing, but I know the one at Remo Stars is very, very, very good, right? So 
when you consider the fact that Uzo is in um, Otelo, what's the name of that team again? Um, Maduka Okoye is in, I think, Watford as a substitute goalkeeper or torturous goalkeeper. It's not mm. good enough. It's not good enough. Definitely, we should not be rewarding all these people that don't want to play. If you want to be Super Eagles number one, go somewhere, somewhere good and be first choice. Right? So, that's one thing I'm worried about. Then number two is um, Samuel Kalu. Samuel Kalu is doing well for himself at Bordeaux, right? Um, I don't know who advised him. Maybe it's the earlier of the Premier League. I want to play in England. I want to play in England. Then he went to Watford. And Watford got relegated, right? And somehow, somehow, he's still stuck in the championship. I feel like it's better than the championship, right? This is a, an electrifying winger. This is somebody that is quick, is skillful, and he has a main shot on him. We saw what he was doing in France, right? Yeah. His agents should get to work. Germany is the, like, if you go to Germany as an attacker, you, except you're Odoi, except you're Kalomotsu Odoi, if you go to Germany, you play ball. You will play ball. So you go there, you rejuvenate, you rejuvenate yourself to some extent, and you can even get, like, a better deal, right? So apart from the NGD Kilechi and Aribo that you guys touched on earlier, so for me, it's also Samuel Kalu as well as the goalkeepers. Okay. Yeah, uh, sorry, Jiki, I want to make a correction. Yeah, so I think Joe Aribo actually moved to Southampton in the summer, not in January. So, yeah, yeah so that's about yeah. three coaches he went through, you know, during the season. Yeah, nice catch. Okay, um, so Chiki, we've had Samuel Chukwese moving to AC Milan. Now they sold Tonali to Newcastle for about 75 million euros of their about. And they've played money ball with, with, the, with the transfer fee. They've brought in Christian Pulisic, Janus Musa, Tijani Reynas, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Noah Okafo, and of course, Samuel Chukwese. Do you think that this addition is enough to get them the Scudetto ahead of Victor Simen and his Napoli teammates? So, the Scudetto, no, I do not. I said they surprised me. I would be very surprised if they do. But I really like these additions. I really, really do. They seem like they seem like very smart because to be fair, I was part of the crowd because I was very surprised when they let Maldini go. And I was like, what what are they doing? Like, what's going on? This guy literally came back, brought this is Maldini, like it's Milan, it's Maldini. And then they let him go. So I was very surprised. What what exactly is the plan? And then they saw Tonali. I was like, ah. And the report was that he didn't want to go, but they told me him to go. I was just like, I, I it felt like they were a mess. That's what it felt like. But then they started making the signings. And all of them just seemed smart. All young players, all exciting young players with high skill. None of them are their pick yet. All of them are these are all free pick players. Getting um, uh, Musa in midfield is brilliant. Getting Chukweze is smart because Milan has had a problem with their right side. The right the right wing hasn't seemed like Leo has been doing things on the left, but they seem yeah. to just keep rolling the dice on who will play on the right because they don't have one person to make that position on their own. So they just have a bunch of smart signings. So I'm I'm very intrigued with what they're going to do this season. Do I do I think they are ready to go for a Scudetto push? No, not at all. I don't think the team they still don't have the goals. I don't think it, it can. I don't see where it comes from. So I don't I think mean, they, they signed Noah Kaufman. While he's not one of the best signings in um in in so one of the best strikers in Europe right now. But he's someone who is promising, like you said. He's, he's yeah, he's all promised. Strikers. That's the thing. They all have promise, but you're going against proven. 
and promise against proving mm. is always like you have everything has to go in your favor literally they have to have we'll watch it and see what happens so we we'll guess i guess we'll see but i don't have i don't have them going for a square to push but i have them as serious candidates for the top four as in i think they have the players and i think they'll play exciting football so it's guess to see sorry before i, I just want to add something uh, you guys mentioned the comp- a bunch of people before about who you wanted to move Nigeria mm, okay. player. Nobody mentioned somebody that I thought someone would mention. And for oh, me, it's Emmanuel okay. Dennis. I think oh, he's, okay. I think he's, um, I think he's very unserious. But I think he needs to move to a club where they want, where a lot more is demanded from him. As far as he's like one of like seven possible attackers that they have or, or, or strikers that they have. So I don't know how he's going to get game time there. But I think he needs to move. I think that we we'll talked about some people not wanting to go to a lower level or not. I think he needs to go to the championship. I think he needs to go to a club mm. where he's. I think he needs to go to a club where he's the his demand or he's one of them where he has to play and fight for the club. And I think he's been too I think he's been too casual at at, at Forest. I think he's just been just collecting his money and he's fine with it. And I think and that's a lot of talent in that player for that. And someone I'm very happy moved is uh Boniface at Leverkusen. Mm, that's a move I'm very very excited for because working with someone like Alonso the way Leverkusen played last season and having him as the I think he already scored in their preseason game and excited yeah, to watch did. that so he that's, that's good yeah and, and just tying it with what uh, you said about Emmanuel Dennis Emmanuel Dennis is someone who might actually lose his place in the Eagles to the bunny face because like said, <laughs> I was Bonifaz going to say that bro you're talking about someone that they didn't move you're right that's my point and it's because of how his his career has gone because it looks like he's just playing for a check which uh, is not long playing for a check but he's just and then if we uh, if if the reports are right and sports gets gifts and those are two players with massive upside playing regular in top five leagues like come on what are you doing now for us man uh, but I have to be saying that thing again. You, you know, if you break person when they pretend to sleep, Dennis wants to sleep. Don't leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, you touched on um, playing for passion and playing for money and everything. So I think we'll end this with that question. Right now, Al Hilal, that's the team that signed Kulibali, Malcolm, Ruben Neves, and Milinkovic Savage. They are interested in signing Victor Osimhen. Nothing has been said since the bid was, or since the offer was made last week. No updates yet, but they are in talks with Napoli to sign him for around 140 million. And what is intriguing about it is the transfer, sorry, the the wages being offered to Victor Osimhen. They reported one million. I don't know if it's euros or dollars or pounds. It doesn't make any difference to me. But one million of whatever foreign currency it is that has been offered to him per week. I'll start from you guys and we'll end the show. Um, I'll start with Dalton. Do you think Victor Simon should take the money? Okay, so this is maybe 100% honest, right? I have very, very strong opinions against the Saudi Arabia League, right? Mm. I don't think it's going to work, especially on the long run, right? So they say the target or their aim is for the next um, five, six years or whatever that they want to push a bit to host the World Cup and all of that. So the first question is, after the World Cup in 2030, what next? 
right? Also, the measure of approach of picking people that are close to retirement and all of that, right? I also don't think it's sustainable in the sense that after a period of time, right, these guys are going to be worn out and you have to buy like another sense big money because you have to use the money to entice them anyway, right? So I don't think it's sustainable. I mean, if you look at all the players that have gone to Saudi Arabia, I cannot remember everybody, but they're probably only two people that I've seen and I'm like, why'd you go there? Right, and the two of them are Milinkovic Savic, right, and Ruben Neves. Now, Neves is easy for me, right? Neves left Porto at 19 to go to Championship of Wolves, right? He has made a move for money before, so I'm not exactly surprised. But with Savage, two, three years ago, you were priced at 100 million, everybody wanted you and all of that. Now you're going to Sanremo for 40 million, right? It's a bit puzzling, but for the rest of them, they're towards the end of their career and whatnot. And that's why I feel like. No matter the type of offer that they've given Mbappe and Osime, which is the person in, in question now, the reason why both of them have not accepted that type of offer is because it's still not a property yet, right? These guys are close to the top of the chain, food chain in European football. I don't think there's anybody that's close to the top of the food chain in European football that we want to deep and go to Saudi Arabia, right? Because they feel like it's very like, you know what, I've had my time under the sun. Let me just go and rest. People like Femino, people like Fabinho, Henderson, to that extent, money and cool, right? Uh-huh. I've done that bit here. Now, for Mbappe and Osimen, it's almost like we're just starting. Mbappe is 25, Osimen is 26 or so, right? These guys are just starting. And two years ago, if you're calling best strikers in the world, you will not call Osimen. Now, if you're calling the best strikers in the world, Osimen is right there with the best. Do you understand? So, in as much as the money is a lot, sometimes it's it's not all about the money, right? Even in my professional field, you see people that go up and down, and you're like, you know what? I work at this place for lower pay. I take a pay cut and work at maybe a better grade or a better level or a better institution, right? People do it all the time. So, the allure of playing in under the floodlights, you play Champions League, you play in most watch leagues and all of that, it will still be an influencing, like, it will still be an influence on your decision making. So, as far as I'm concerned, the only reason why Osimhen has not taken that deal yet is because it's sad. It was Chelsea that gave him that deal. Oh. Mm, I mean, obviously, obviously. Gone. And, and, and all of that, right? So, I guess one of those things where we'll have to watch and, and see, I feel like there are too many things that are wrong with the whole experience and all that. Maybe another thing we'll touch down on that, so we yeah, don't want one much time and all of that. But that's just my own sincere thoughts. The people at the top of European football will not go to Saudi Arabia. How about you, Bayer? What do you think? Should Osimhen take the money or should he stick with Napoli? Yeah, so I mean, it's just like Dotson said and just like, you know, what I said at the beginning of the show, in terms of the absolute scarcity of strike of you know established or proven um, center forwards in the European game right now, um, currently in terms of center forwards, you'd expect to be making a move in within the next two years. Osimhen is at the top of that, you know. So if Kane goes, ends up going for hundred million, uh, whether it's pounds or euros this summer, you can expect that Osimhen will probably be going for a bit over that um, within the next year or two. Um, so he's, he has a legacy. He has, he has a shot at actually making a legacy for himself, you know, in terms of the great African players. And mind you, he's sort of a late bloomer as well, you know, 
or maybe maybe you, you could say maybe but this is the exact time where you know at this point like guys like Salah, Drogba were in their peak or approaching their peak you know and he's had he's been he's been he's been um in the consciousness of many for about two three years now since he was at Lille you know um but he's he's he he has everybody's attention now and I think it would just be a waste uh for him to go to Saudi Arabia but you never know how it goes you never know what thinking is in things like this and something else I just want I picked up from what Dr said I I, I don't know you know whether to be angry or sad when you have guys like Milinkovic Savage who in their mid-20s you know um were 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 being priced at ridiculous amounts by their club owners um you know Lazio talking about anyone who wants to send me long, um, SMS would have to pay 100 million euros. You also had Verratti. Um, I think that was probably about 2016, 2017, when Barcelona was seriously interested in signing him. And, you know, PSG basically refused to entertain. And he eventually, um, you know, signed a contract extension. And then these guys, when you now end up, and then all of a sudden, like maybe a year to the end of their contracts or whatever, you know, when that interest is in there again, you now end up selling to Saudi Arabia. I think it's a big shame. Um, that's for me personally, you know, and that's not to discriminate or disrespect against the Saudi league. But I think it's just it's just a shame that um, chairmen or club owners, you know, put ridiculous price tags on players and then be out of ego, you know, at some point. And then at some point when financial reality sets in, you now end up um, agreeing suboptimal moves for all involved. Yeah. Okay. Um, Tricky, what about you? Are you going to zig where these guys are zagging? Because it seems like they are of the opinion that he should stick to European football. What do you think? Should he take the money and go? Or should he stay? Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of with Dotson. I think he should stick. I think he should stay because of, as Dotson said, he's very close to the top. Like he's um, he's one move away from being a worldwide name, literally. He's just one right move. Like right now, he's big. He's Osimhen. We know him well in England and in Nigeria because we are Nigerians and we want Osimhen to do well. And we've been watching him since he was 17, so we know Osimhen. He's mm. big in Italy. Because people say yeah. on Champions League stage, yes, you get to see him. People have to, you know, have to worry about Simon. But he's literally one move away from being that worldwide. Because here, yeah, as uh, as I said, there are no strikers right now. There's number. There's a scarcity of number nines. Literally, I don't know what it is. Well, who who do we upset for this? But there are really no number nines. So he's so close. It's one move away. So I don't see. I don't see why he should go to Saudi right now. I don't say that thing that okay, 2030 is about seven years away. So if that's what they, if, they, if that's their goal, they're trying to get all these people to push for the World Cup in 2030, fine. Osman can still do a solid three, four years in Europe and then go if he still wants to go. Because in Saudi, the money doesn't finish, Abi. And by that time, their league will have a lot more structure if they are really serious about the football, as I said. Their league will have structure, their league will have views, they will have they will have set up proper. And then in four years he can go easily if he wants to. But right now, the rumor is that Napoleon offered him a new contract to release clothes. 
and I think I read somewhere today that they're even trying to put an anti-Saudi release uh, an anti-Saudi clause in the contract. I don't know if that's true, but they won't put a release clause in the contract. Fine, if he wants to sign, sign, they'll put something like I'm, I'm sure they're waiting to see what Kane goes for, and maybe they bump or the ass of like 150 or something like that. But yeah, it's yeah. I don't think I don't think he should go now. I think he should wait. I think that one move that he's going to move from Napoli should be the move that catapults him to superstardom, and then after he has done a couple years at that level. If he still wants to go, if Saudi is still popping and they're still offering the big box, then fine. But right now, I I feel like legacy is it's 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 money or legacy. I guess that's it. It depends on what you're after. If if you want the money and you want to be good, then fine. He can go to Saudi. But man, he there's no African striker right now. Okay. There's nobody. It's just you. So you stay if he's if he does stay in Europe, there's a couple more big nights in the Champions League. If he goes to another, if he goes maybe to one of the big Spanish clubs or one of the big English clubs, and then man, you don't know where he can be. Man, the, the it's going to be something else. So I, I hope he stays, and I don't think he should. Take. If I was him, I would be. I don't know who would tell me not to take it. Let me know life for you people. So that's a lot of money. But you know, okay. looking at it from my side, where the money is in my front, I can open all the and it just seems. I just hope. He, I hope he stays in Europe. Okay, so Shola, before you answer, um, and we end the show, before you answer. Because three out of three of them have said that they want him to stay in Europe, or he should stay in Europe rather. Shola, before you answer, remember that it is one million pounds per week. The only currency with a surname, pound sterling. That's what they're offering him: one million pounds sterling a week. So, with that in mind, Shola, should he stay in Europe? and make that one big move that will make him a global superstar or should he take that money in Saudi league? I agree with 99% of what the other guys have said. Uh, yes, the legacy in Europe. <laughs> yes, he probably has the opportunity to move to a really big team and really do some serious damage. But uh, I disagree with the conclusion. My personal opinion will be for him to go to Saudi Arabia and take the money. And the reason is simple. For me, it's about the discrepancy in the money. I think Osime is currently on about 100,000. They're about at Napoli, if not just a slightly bit more than that. Going from 100,000 to a million is not, that's not, that's not a chance that waits for you for four years. It doesn't happen. It's a now or never offer. It's a now or never offer. And when I look at uh, the context of the career of a footballer, he really has the opportunity to be financially huge in a way that is more beneficial for his family in Nigeria, his local community in Nigeria. And paraphrasing Oscar when he was asked why he chose money in China. He said, for people that are at home and are comfortable, you can have an opinion of him going to China. But for him that has 60 dependents, at least he understands the practical importance of going to China and taking the money. And for me, it's the same thing with Osime. He's coming from a poor background. He has family direct. He has family indirect. He has all of that. He has grassroots players that he played with. He has a lot of people in the football circles that he knows. That's money that is capable to transform a lot of lives in Nigeria. So for me, take the money. 
if he was just getting maybe 200 or 250 I'll say okay stay in Europe but for a million per week no take the money and go that's money that even Ronaldo and Messi were not collecting at their peak in Real Madrid and Barcelona so for me I don't see any I, for me in this case the financial objective is far bigger than the sporting objective I'm afraid Okay, that's fair. That's where we end this show. Uh, for me, my own opinion is that I honestly hope that his agent is looking for a very solid 10-bedroom 10, 10 duplex or mansion in Saudi Arabia right now because, uh, I mean, I'm with Shalom because I think he has to take the money. It's just it's a ridiculous amount and it's not going to be there for a very long time. Um, all right, guys, that's where we're going to end this show. That's all we have for this episode. Please share, subscribe, and leave your review slash rating. Follow us on all social media platforms at Clean Tackles Pod to keep the conversation going. And we'll see you next week. Bye.